5. We've already read a portion of this as we explore the Word of God and what the Word of God does. And over the next six weeks, we'll explore why and how we treat the Bible as the Word of God and what the Word of God does in our lives. Um, In the passage that we've been reading today from John 5, Jesus gets in a controversy. He's done the most amazing miracle. Can you imagine spending 38 years of your life unable to walk, but hoping for healing? And sitting beside a pool of water, waiting for a special moment where you might experience some kind of healing if you got into it at the right time. And can you imagine how the hopelessness might grow? But Jesus healed this man, and instead of getting excited about the man who was changed, they got excited about the fact that he was carrying his mat that he had been lying on for 38 years. And they got upset about him carrying the mat. Now, these were all people who studied the Scripture, and it was their study of the Scripture that God had given that influenced them to see the mat and not the Master. They saw a man carrying a mat on the Sabbath and they got upset at the one who is master of all creation for letting him do it. For in their view, Jesus was breaking the law. He was breaking the scripture. He was loosening the scripture in such a way that they would have used a word, and it's in our text, but sort of hidden to us, that he would annul it. He would annul the scripture. He would make it empty. He would void the law. And if you void one law, you void it all. They were accusing him of being a lawbreaker and therefore all his disciples as well. And so Jesus enters into a conversation with them, and we started that conversation in our reading, but I'm going to begin in verse 31 of Luke chapter 5. Jesus is getting a little bit of challenge about his identity. Who is he, and does he actually have anyone else who's pointing at him and giving some verified witness to his authority. So he says this, If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have a testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. 
And the Father has sent me, who sent me, has testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes only from God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you did not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Jesus gets very direct with them, doesn't he? He says in verse 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you will have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. My mother is on probably her 45th reading through of the Bible. For over 40 years, she has been taking up the Bible and making her way through it every year. When's the last time you read the Bible through? It's a bestseller. And yet only 1% of university graduates have read it through and studied it. Oh, please join the 1%. Join those who know the Word of God who study the Word of God and let the Word of God work in their lives so that the Word of God actually does its revealing work. Jesus said, you study the Scripture diligently. You are searching the Scripture with lots of effort. And these Scriptures point to me. They testify of me. They reveal me. The Word of God reveals our relationships and perhaps even reveals our lack of relationship. For in the gospel and message of Jesus and throughout the Scripture, it is revealed that we have a relationship with God and with ourself and with people and with the stuff of earth. We have a body. We have a place in which to live. What is the quality of our relationships with each of these? Jesus says, you study the scriptures. 
Are you studying the scriptures? Could he say the very same thing to you that you study the scriptures? If you noticed in our little guide that we gave you, there's a hand illustration. And that hand illustration is to illustrate taking hold of the Bible, taking hold of the word of God. There are six ways that we're suggesting there that you can take hold of the scripture. But the thing that we're looking for is not just that you take hold of the scripture, but that the scripture takes hold of you. You study the scriptures diligently, and these are the very scriptures that testify about me, says Jesus. And he's sort of offering an invitation, so come to me, since the scripture is pointing to me. I've been following along with Trevor Hudson. He's a pastor in South Africa. I let him be a guide for me this year in his book called Seeking God, Finding Another Kind of Life with St. Ignatius and Dallas Willard. But in the book, he, he talks about the way of discipleship and that the way of discipleship as we engage the scripture, as we're engaged by the spirit of God, is that we actually move through three different ways of knowing. The first is the way of information. And you know, it is possible, it is indeed necessary that you would read the Bible for information. There is knowledge that you and I need to know. And when we first take up the Bible to read it, it can seem strange if we haven't heard these stories. In fact, one of my friends approaching her 70s said to me one day, she asked me, Craig, do you read the Bible? I was like, "Uh, I'm a pastor. (laughs) She was my osteopath and was working on my back, and I thought I should be careful how I answer you know, I'm, I am in her control at this moment. She says, do you read the Bible? I'm like, yes, I read the Bible. And I asked her, do you? She says, oh, I did. I did once. It seemed like the strangest patchwork. I couldn't get it to make a clear picture for me. And so we chatted about that for a little bit. But when we first start reading the Bible, it could seem that way. A strange patchwork of history, of poetry, of great literature, of wisdom literature, and then even these far-out tales of apocalypse, of letters, of the very Gospels of Jesus. And we're not sure how it fits together, but... The longer you stay with it and reading, the way of information must also give way to the way of inspiration. Where you are inspired and getting a new vision for your life with what has been put in you is now forming you and forming a vision for your life where you're like, ooh, I hope that could be true. Or you read something else and you're like, well, I want to avoid that. Because everything in the Bible isn't to be emulated. Some of it is to be 
avoided. There are examples of what to avoid in the scripture as well. And so you may be inspired to say, oh, I want to avoid that, or I want to take on this. You might be inspired to try to find some kind of philosophy for living well. For indeed, that is what all philosophy in its best forms seeks to do. It's trying to answer the question of what is a good life? And so you could read the Bible at that level as well. How to get inspired and have a new vision for your life. But from the way of information and inspiration, we must also enter the way of interaction, where we interact with the God who inspired these words. We inspire, we interact with the God whose word creates. We interact with the God who knows us and loves us. And we interact right there in that text as we read. This is why often when I'm reading the scripture, one of my habits is to say, okay, God, this is your word. Speak to me. I am listening. It's just a very simple breath prayer. Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. It's your word. And in that movement of interaction, this is the very point at which Jesus challenges the religious leaders. He says, you study the scriptures diligently, but you're missing the point. Jesus makes an extraordinary claim to say that all of the scripture points to him, either by way of direct or by indirectly pointing what's missing in our lives and how we need a Savior. Do you know when we look, consider the Scripture, maybe it seems strange to you to think that those books in the Old Testament somehow point to Jesus, that Jesus is actually present in those texts. I remember I was about 15 years old, and I, I had the Bible, and I was reading through, and I was reading John 3, which has one of the most famous verses in the Bible for us, right? For God so loved the world Wow, you all have one of those grips on the Bible. You have memorized scripture, right? And I had memorized that verse too. And so I was reading John 3, and I wasn't, I was sort of gearing up to that verse that's coming. And then I read the strangest verse. And at 15, I don't know why, but it just took me by great surprise. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. I, and I thought, I've read that. I read that earlier this year. 
just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. I read that story in the Bible. Israel had sinned and rebelled against God and scary, scary, scary. I get nervous around snakes. A whole pile of snakes had come through their camp and were biting them and they were dying. Like, this is a horror film. And the strangest thing happened in that God commanded Moses to make a bronze snake and lift it up on a pole so that anyone who looked on it in faith might be healed. Strange story. And here Jesus is mentioning it? Jesus goes on, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Oh, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. I got so excited. I went running out of my room, down the stairs, into the kitchen. My mom and dad were sitting in the kitchen. I said, do you know what? Jesus is in the Old Testament. And they were like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, he's like the snake on the pole. (laughs) little curious looks in their eyes, and then I read it, and they're like, yeah, yeah. But that moment of making the connection, Jesus is there in the text. And Jesus says, hey, look, there's a sign about me. That God was working in Israel to lay the foundation for my existence and my work, says Jesus, I, the Son of Man, will be lifted up on a pole, and all who look to me in faith will be healed. They'll have eternal life. So when you search the Scripture diligently, you will get information. You might get some inspiration, but will you also get interaction? Will you ask God to speak? Will you wait on God to speak? Most of our mornings are in a hurry. You're going to have to slow down to listen. We've just been celebrating Jesus, the Emmanuel. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He is the God who interacts. He is the God who speaks. C.S. Lewis said of our challenge to sort out, is Jesus really revealed in the scripture as God? Did Jesus reveal himself as God? And C.S. Lewis presented this as the major dilemma of his own life. And so he gives a testimony in mere Christianity of how God transformed his view. He says, look, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying foolish things about Jesus. Things like this. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim as God. That is the one thing we must not say. 
A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg. C.S. Lewis, poached eggs. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him, kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open for us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was either a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Jesus said, You study the scripture diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. May we not be among those who refuse to come to Jesus. Part of the danger is that the longer we do sit with the church, the longer we become familiar with the scripture, is that we have contempt for the one we're so familiar with. And holding the scripture doesn't seem to generate awe in our lives that we hold in our hand the very inspired words of God that are meant to do so many things, but mainly and most pointedly to reveal Jesus to us. From beginning to end, the arc of the story of Scripture is to reveal Jesus and invite us into his life. Even our invitation today to the Lord's Supper is an invitation into the life and way of Jesus. For we will speak of his body, which was broken for us. John, who pointed at Jesus, says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Paschal Lamb, the Passover Lamb, right out of the Old Testament. The lamb whose blood that's shed brings life, secures life for us. And then we'll take the, the cup. The cup reminds us of the lamb. The body reminds us of his body like bread broken for us. Jesus says, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. While Israel was in the wilderness, They ate manna, bread from heaven. And so he becomes for us our very life and sustenance. 
the great themes of our service and the great themes of the Scripture should resonate with you as you become familiar by way of interaction with Jesus revealed in the Scripture. What's your great prayer for 2024? I hope I read the Bible more in 2024. I hope I get to know Jesus more in 2024. I hope I see more of the grace and power of Jesus in 2024. Do you see the signs more in 2024? Just make it a simple prayer. Okay, God, help me read your word more in 2024. More information, more inspiration, more interaction with you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would take this very simple challenge and help us take it to heart. That we would be like the new believers in Acts 17 that Paul spoke of, who received the message with great eagerness and then examined the scripture every day to see what, if what was shared with them was true. And as a result, many of them believed. Would you increase our faith this year? Would you let us rest in you and in your word? Would you let us receive the word of God deep into our lives so that it can bear the fruit that you intend? Come, Lord Jesus, and give us a new hunger for you and a new will to do your will 